0: Very good. Well, happy Mother's Day to you. We, we want to celebrate Mother's Day here at Ironworks because it's good to honor mothers. The Bible certainly does. And that's something we need to bring out, especially in light of kind of the, the cultural narrative that we get many times these days, that religion it really degrades women, is degrading to women uh, in different ways. But if you contrast that with what we see in the Gospels, the way that Jesus responds to, is attentive to, highlights the needs of women, we get a very different story. If you contrast The Handmaid's Tale with what the Bible actually says, what the Gospels actually do, it's a great contrast. Whether you're looking in, say, Matthew 24, where Jesus is describing the coming eschatological crisis, and while he's doing that, he takes makes special note as he as he thinks about how bad this is going to be for pregnant women or nursing mothers, and he he stops his his uh, exposition and say, "Boy, this is going to be so bad uh, for nursing mothers, for pregnant women." And this time, or whether you're you're reading Luke seven, and uh, you see Jesus interrupt his his purposes, his ministry, his journey, in order to tend to a widow who is, who is mourning her recently deceased son. And he takes, he takes time apart to, to address her and turn her sorrow into joy. Or even toward the end of the Gospels, in Luke 23, you can see Jesus in his moment of greatest trial, really, in the worst day of his life, in the worst time of his life, when he's carrying the cross to the place of his death, He takes time to turn and comfort women who are wailing along the way, and who are wailing for him, actually, and and to address them in their need. What do we see here again and again? Jesus is all about attending to women as women, a very different picture. So it's easy for us to underestimate the degree to which he does this if we do not take note of it in the Gospels. And that's what we're going to do today. Please stand as we hear a reading from Mark chapter 5. It's kind of a longer story, but it's important to get the whole story. Let's read and listen together.
1: We're reading from Mark 5 verses 21 to 43. A girl restored to life and a woman healed. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and besought him, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind the crowd, and touched his garment, For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in, fear and trembling, and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a tumult and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and walked. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: be to God. Thank you. Please, please be seated. So, two amazing healings here that are brought together in the gospel. And it's interesting that in all three of the what we call the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can read about this story, and they, they all have this same setting where they, they make sure that these two stories are told together. You can read it in Luke 8. You can read it in Matthew 9. All of them kind of make a point that, that these two things happen one after the other. In fact, the one interrupts the other. The woman interrupts the journey to the girl. And, you know, that's, that's significant, folks, because that doesn't always happen in the Gospels. A lot of times you're reading, right? Maybe you're reading in the gospel and you say, wow, you know, I, I think I read that before, but it seemed to have been in a different setting in the other gospel. And that's true. You go and you look and the, you have these different miracles that happen. Sometimes they don't happen in the same order. And we're left to puzzle out, you know, is the author here trying to be chronological or is he arranging things in a different way? And that happens with different miracles in the gospels, not these. These two are always uh, together in all three of the Gospels. Jesus is going toward the girl to meet the needs of the girl, to heal this this girl, and he's interrupted by the woman. And the first healing involves this woman with this illness, this bleeding uh, illness, and and this is not uncommon, so this actually had a term. The rabbis would discuss this. Uh, and they, they had a term for a woman who had this kind of a disorder. They called her a zabah. Okay? And so you had these zabas. and for a zaba, the treatments that they would offer were in, in ancient times really kind of bizarre. You know, when it says in, in that verse, verse 26, right, you look at that and they say she spent all her money on these different treatments with doctors. That's, that's very fitting to, from what we know. Because there were these bizarre treatments that, that a Zaba would have to undergo, uh, such as, one of them was she, she would drink this powdered uh, concoction, made of powdered rubber and alum and garden and crocuses, okay? and she would drink that, and that was supposed to try to help. Or, or you would take an ostrich egg and you would burn it. You would take the ashes of an ostrich egg and put it in a special bag, and she would wear it against her skin. And that was, I mean, these were just really bizarre, right? <clears throat> it makes you kind of wonder, maybe about treatments that we get today and <laughs> what they're going to think about them in the future, right? But um, in any event, none of these or more expensive ones worked for her, and so she's in this situation. And and the story just really shows, doesn't it, doesn't it, that the the difficulty that this woman has. Uh, Jesus is able to address. Jesus is able to address the needs of this woman's body. And and when I read this, it reminds me of a job I used to work at the New York University Medical Center in a um, research group that was called the Women's Health Project. And this was a group of researchers that took a lot of different data from different places, and, and they tried to understand some of the particular difficulties of women's health uh, women's health issues and I was very honored to be working in this group but there was one thing I noticed I, well, I was there for several years and and I saw this again and again and it just struck me every time it was it was this it was how mystified the researchers were at the processes within a woman's body I mean they were they were just baffled uh, again and again they would say we don't know how this works we don't know how labor starts for example we don't know how these different things that go on in the endocrine system Um, and they were just unable to to uh, it was just a lot of mystery there and I remember looking at that and realizing just how a woman's body is beautifully complex in order to be a giver of life a lot has to go right for a woman to actually bear children and give life a, a lot a, a lot can go wrong and and so because of these many mysteries that are there there are big challenges to women's health big challenges there and so it's kind of ironic the glory of one destined to give life is also you know what is her glory is also her her liability, and that is the potential to mother. And I see in this story Jesus' sensitivity to that in this story. If you look at verse 32, there's a suggestion here. You see in verse 32, Jesus is looking around to see who did this when he looks at the power that had gone out of him. And there's a suggestion there that Jesus might have even known that what the power that went out of him was for a feminine matter because that who in verse 32 in the Greek that who is feminine right now it's ambiguous so it could be the narrator using that feminine who because the narrator knows it was a woman who touched him right and so the narrator is saying who or it could be Jesus Jesus using the feminine who, looking around for who had touched him. And if that were the case, then it was, it was even before he knew who it was in the crowd who'd do it, he knew that it was something, the power that had left him was for a matter feminine. But in any event, we could see this woman had a particular bodily need that Jesus could address. right? so that was the first incident then we find right after that in the journey verse 39 this this the second healing of this girl Jesus makes this momentous utterance does he not she's not dead but asleep right? and he hadn't he hadn't seen her yet so i don't think this is like a medical diagnosis where he's saying okay yeah, you guys got it wrong she's not really dead she's like no they knew, they knew she was dead. But he's saying there's something more here than going on than a, than a resuscitation, right? She is being awakened. She's being, she needs to be awakened. So let's think about this. A healing of a difficult body problem, a, a miracle of a healing, a miracle of calling forth to awaken. Providence brings these two together. And the gospel writers want us to know that. And, you know, it might not have been exactly together. You know, we don't know how long the journey was from when Jesus is told and he starts to go and then the girl dies and then when he shows up at the house, already the professional mourners we see are in place. Already the professional mourners are there, which means there was time to get them and arrange this funeral and so forth. So it it might have been an overnight, we we can't tell how long the journey was, but, but but the gospel writers want us to understand that the providence of God is bringing these two events together. There's something here going on, even more amazing, I would say, than the healings that he does. Again, on the way to heal the girl, he's interrupted by the woman. I want you to do something with me. I want you to compare verse 25 with verse 42. Just look at those two together. Verse 25, verse 42. Do you notice any detail there that's the same? Anything stand out to you? Verse 25, anybody? What's that? There you go, thank you. How long had the older woman been afflicted? Twelve years. How old was the little girl who was healed? Twelve years. And that detail, noted by the Gospel writer, invites a comparison, does it not? In fact, if you were reading this in the Gospel of Luke, if you're reading this in Luke 8, you would notice that Luke actually includes these the two details, one right after the other, in consecutive verses, so that we don't miss making that connection. Twelve years, twelve years, one right after the other. inviting an even stronger connection. So why? Why mention this detail? I mean, he didn't, the gospel writers don't have to do this. Like, why is it specific like, she's 12 years old. Well, there, you might say, because the gospel writer wants us to know she could get up and walk around right after Jesus heals her. Could be, but, but he wouldn't have to say exactly 12, you know. He could say, he could use a, a number of different words for young girl that would let us know that she was at that kind of, she was an age where she could walk around. Why is it specifically 12? Well, 12 years old, turns out to be very important in the way that Jews looked at women uh, in that time and the way that they understood women and categorized uh, different phases of a woman's life, a child's life, for the purposes of being ready to enter into a process of marriage. Okay? And so they talk about this in the, in the Talmud, even in the earlier Layers of the Talmud, the Mishnah, and uh, it was very clear there were these categories: one to ten, she's a child; age eleven, she's underage; age twelve to twelve and a half, she's called a young daughter. After twelve and a half, she's she's called an adult, and it doesn't mean that she. Oh, you know that's immediately when she got married. But the but the family could start looking to the future for her. Okay. Twelve and a half, right at that time. So we kind of let this dawn on you. Okay, the Bible is very earthy. Let me just say that. And a lot of times it it kind of brings things up that maybe things that were sometimes not as comfortable with as, as bringing up in church. The Bible does, because it's a very earthy book. And so if we put these things together, what do we find? We find that what was the woman's problem? That he healed a flow of blood. Right? What happens to a young girl around 12 years old? It's still true even today in America. It's the average age of menarche the beginning of a flow of blood, right? So on this journey, we see Jesus meets a woman, heals her, to, heals her by stopping a flow of blood. Then he meets a young girl and heals her to be able to have a flow of blood. So think about that with me. You know, it's kind of harder for us to see, friends, and it's harder because... Bearing children is, is downplayed today in our culture, is it not? I mean, we know this, right? It's, it's In a way, it's denigrated. It's something I feel, I feel upset about. I feel like it's misogynistic, but our culture really denigrates a childbirth. It's just the time that we're living in, that unique gift. But in the Bible's view, women are given this unique gift of bearing life, of making a place for life, and it's a glorious gift. So we have to understand what's going on here with this, this young girl is that she's, she's being cut off, not only from life, but being cut off from being able to give life, from being able to bear life. And that's a tragedy in the understanding of the people of the Bible. That's a great tragedy. This is kind of like, this story is the, is the New Testament counterpart to the story of Jephthah's daughter. You remember Jephthah's daughter. Great, awful story, a tragic story where her life is cut off as, and it's as, as she's a virgin. And so she goes up into the hills to mourn this before it happens because she's a virgin and she's going to die. The, the death there is that she's not going to be able to come to a place where she can bear children, where she can be a giver of life, a bearer of life. In fact, if people even make up a holiday, a local holiday for her because of this tragedy. Right? That's, that's the kind of Old Testament counterpart to this. New Testament story, we have this girl who's being cut off from that in her own life until Jesus Christ shows up. And instead, with these words, Jesus calls her to arise to awaken to womanhood, right? Talitha kumi. Talitha kumi, arise to to womanhood. And on the other side, you know, we don't know. We're not told how old the woman is that Jesus heals, but this is a common perimenopausal condition, right, at this time. And so if, if that's the case, what we have is a picture of, of Jesus meeting a woman at the, at the beginning of this process, when her body is at the beginning of this process, and meeting a woman and addressing her needs when she's at the end of this process of being able to bear life, to be a life giver, a life bearer. What is that telling us? Jesus meets women at every phase of their lives. So I think it's a this beautiful picture of how Jesus is attentive to you as a woman wherever you are. That's the picture that we get from the Gospels. And so what I want to do with you some more, is just, just ask you to apply this in your life, whatever phase you're in as a woman. And a woman's life can, can vary drastically can it not, between different times and phases of her life. You know, this is an especially important message because a woman goes through different times and, and, and the things that she does, the things that she's about could be very different in her life, especially. And Jesus is there for each of them. It's an especially important message for us because in this time, in our world now, we live in a time where the pain of life-giving is greatly multiplied. It's why we partner, so why we've highlighted this morning Young Lives and the Genesis Women's Clinic. It's why we want to be involved at in that. We want to support that. And I hope that you don't just pass that over in your bulletin. Maybe you could, you could help be involved in supporting that because that is such a vulnerable time. And we, as a church, we don't want to miss that. We want to, we want to be as, as helpful as we can, especially for women in a difficult situation in that most vulnerable time of their lives. We want to be there as much as we can and partner with them in that. What needs are you facing in your life? The same message is here for you the same message. Jesus is there to meet those needs. So maybe you're at that young stage. Maybe you are one of uh, these young girls who are going through this kind of a change in your life. And it's difficult, is it not? It's, there's so many things that change in your life in such a short period of time. You go to bed, and it seems you wake up the next day, and and you wake up to a very different world, right? Life is about different things, right? It's no longer, life is no longer just about drawing unicorns and solving math problems and going to gymnastics. It's suddenly about more weighty issues, issues of relationship, issues of responsibility, issues of blood. And maybe you don't understand what's going on in your body. Maybe you don't even like it. Maybe you're on a, 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 an emotional roller coaster ride. Maybe you, you don't like the way guys are now looking at you. Even older guys are looking at you. Listen, listen, don't let that worry you. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at the way he is looking at you. Hear him talk to you. Because what he's saying to you is Tali Tali fakumi, arise, arise to what I'm calling you to, and know that he is preparing you to be a bearer of life. Mm. He understands. You can see it in verse 43, can you not? Even after she is healed... Even after, you know, she has wholeness in herself, Jesus is still concerned about what she needs. That, that last verse is so important. She says he's still interested in what she needs, which in this case is food, right? Give her something to eat. Still about the needs and still about meeting those needs. Talitha Kumi. But maybe you're in a different situation. Maybe you're in a different phase for those of us who are in the childbearing years. Boy, what a time. And maybe you might be in a phase where you don't really even kind of like these kinds of things highlighted about you. Maybe you don't really want to be known for this gift. I was, and that's, that's not uncommon for women today. So and I don't, you know, don't, this is not something that I, don't, I want to have characterizing me as a woman, right? I was talking to a woman uh, a little while ago, and um, I was going on about the glories of, of childbirth, the wonders of discipling life, making a place for life. I was kind of gushing. And, and she looked at me and she said, yeah, but I'm so much more than that. And I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, you are, but you're not less. You're not less than that. You know. In highlighting this, I'm not speaking against women like having careers. Women are in all different phases, all different situations. I'm not speaking against women working. You know? And couples, you know, have all sorts of different arrangements that are helpful, that are appropriate, or sometimes necessary." But what I'm saying is, is, if you take this cultural view, if you take this view of, well, no, I need this something else to be a woman. I need, I need this other thing to be legitimate as a woman, to be legitimate as a person. And, and you take that cultural view. Let me just say, let me just warn you as a pastor, two warnings. One is that you're in danger of taking on the very idols that men have. <laughs> it's, just, you know, it's not a very feminist thing to do. Like, God is constantly telling men, helping them, trying to get that across to them, that you should not f- seek out your identity and your work. That you shouldn't like say, this is who I am. Like, say th- to find your, your identity, your meaning, and your career. Lest you sacrifice other things in your life. God is constantly trying to do that with us. Men, typical idols that men have, is their career. You don't want to go there. Not a, not a good thing. But two, we, we want to be sure to not devalue what God values so highly. We don't want to denigrate the things that God Places great value in. And these things, the bearing of life, the giving of life, making a place for life, discipling that life, God values very highly. He values things. Let's try, well, I've tried to show this as we've gone through different biblical books, whether it's the book of Samuel, or whether it's the book of Revelation. Okay? I tried to bring out that Childbirth is not like a side story. Like, you know, this thing, childbirth, going on over here, but the real story is over here. No, this is the real story. This is the way in which redemption unfolds. This is the way that God has chosen to make redemption unfold. It's something that that he esteems and values in the unfolding of redemption, so much so that even the Apostle Paul tells the women of Ephesus in the New Testament He he lifts up Eve's childbirth as the model of how redemption is still unfolding. Even this is after the Messiah has come and risen and ascended. You're at the center of the story. You're at the center. But maybe you're in a different place. Maybe you're in the throes of childbearing or child-rearing. And it is sucking your life from you. Right? And it does. You know, in childbirth, so much of yourself gets consumed. And so much so you might even feel like, I don't even, I don't even feel like a person anymore. So much is being taken out of me. And nobody is seeing it. The sacrifice that this involves. Maybe you're in that place, and you're you're giving up yourself, you're kind of very body is feeling like it's being consumed by these little things that uh, may not be grateful for it, likely to grow up and just tell you all the things you did wrong. And nobody sees, you need to hear this message of this passage. He sees, Jesus is there. I I hope to God that your husband appreciates your sacrifice. I hope to God your children will rise up and call you blessed. But even if they don't, he will. He is there. That is the message of this passage for you. He sees. And he understands the sacrifice of the body. Oh, yes. You will not go unrewarded. He'll say to you, Your faith has saved you. But maybe you're in a different phase. Maybe you're a mature woman and your kids have left you. And you're wondering, Yeah, my life was about this, and now it's not about this at all anymore. Like, who am I? Or maybe you're a a woman who has not ever been able to have children. And in those quiet times you wonder if I am I really a woman. Well the answer from this passage for you is is absolutely yes. But God looks at you as a life giver, as a life bearer, maybe in a different way. You know if you look at verse 34 again, we don't know, we can't know exactly how old she was. But if this has been going on for 12 years, she's likely in an older phase of life, this woman. But if you notice how, do you see how Jesus addresses her in verse 34? He lovingly calls her daughter, this woman. Who's, if, if she's not at the end of this phase, it's perhaps not have had this phase. He calls her daughter, And this is, you know, perhaps she's even older than Jesus at this point, who's in his young 30s. He calls her daughter. What is he doing? He's saying, you're a daughter in the eyes of God. You're very much a woman in the eyes of God. And in this phase, you have ways of fulfilling this meaning of womanhood, of being a bearer of life. You have ways of doing that. Think of just in the, in the New Testament, Anna in the, in, the, in the temple there. We don't know if she even had children. But there she is in the temple, hospitably welcoming the Messiah when he comes. Being, a, being one who makes a place for life with her prophetic utterance. Wonderful. These are different ways that God has. So hear Him say that in verse four. Hear Him say that to you if this is your face. Peace to you. You are a daughter to Him. So we see all these different phases. Jesus is there. That's the God that I see in the Bible. That's the attitude that I see of this God toward women in every phase of life. Do you know how you get this? Do you know how you access his touch? You have to reach out to him as the woman did. For you to be a giver of life, you need to receive the life giver. You have to first receive the one who gave his life for you. That woman's flow of blood stopped only because she was able to connect with the body of the one who would bleed for her. That young girl was raised to life only because of the connection with the one who would bleed for her. That is the way, if you don't know this one, you don't know this one who reaches out to you in this way. Reach out now. Reach out just for the hem of his garment. And hear Jesus say to you. Happy Mother's Day. Please rise.